world building basics. This is Demystified, solving DM mysteries in 20 minutes or less, because the only hard part is scheduling the next session. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm Joey. And I'm Asaf. And today we're going to talk about the basics of world building. This is going to be part one of not quite a three-parter, because they're going to be separate, but just multiple series on world building. And we wanted to illustrate how you can do world building if this is something you've always been interested in if you've always wanted to build your own world for your players to run a muck in we'll talk a little bit about how to get started how to get going and kind of up there but up front this may not be for everyone right because in my opinion world building is a waste of time i mean it's a fun exercise to do especially if when you're when you're the dm it's a, it's a good exercise it's good to try to build your own world personally i've done it i tried it I spent a lot of time doing it. And ultimately, it was it was just a waste of time. I felt like all the things that I set up and the work that I put in, a lot of it went unused. Okay. So, in my opinion, most important thing to running a D&D game is just is having the session prepared. You know, you don't need a whole world to to run a D&D game. Develop what is important to the story. The purpose of world building is for the DM to understand their world. So they can either put their effort into understanding a world someone else made, or they can put their effort into understanding a world that they made. A DM is going to naturally go in the direction that is more fun for them. So if building a world is fun for you, that's a direction you should go. Right. Just as a reminder, Dungeons and Dragons is a hobby. I mean, unless you're Matt Mercer, you're not getting paid to do Dungeons and Dragons. It's a hobby. It's cheaper than owning a boat, I'm told. Not by much, but it's a way to spend your free time in a way that you get enjoyment out of. And if you enjoy world building, as long as you actually get around to telling a story in the world, it's maybe not necessarily wasted time. The time that you spend building the world, as long as you're enjoying it, because the whole point of D&D is enjoyment. The whole point of hobbies is enjoyment. And yeah. if you enjoy it, it's not time wasted. Yeah, As long as it doesn't take away from... The main part of the hobby, which is to actually play. Right. At that point, if you spend more time world building than you actually spend playing, then you're not really doing D&D. You know, I'm glad you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. But you are listening to this podcast to eventually run a game, right? Hopefully. Or you're just taking our ideas and using them right. to write a story. I mean, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the thing is, all of these settings, the Sword Coast, you know, Neverwinter, all of these areas started out as an idea in someone's head. And the reason that we as players go there is because there are stories that you can tell in Faerun that you can't tell here on Earth. And there are stories you can't tell on Faerun that you might be able to tell in a world that you build. Like Spelljam. <laughs> the, the point is that you can't tell Star Wars in Faerun because then you're telling Aragon. It's the same story with dragons. Okay. I was about to say, I was like, did I, I don't know that. Like, I've heard of it. I've never read it. It's Star Wars with dragons. Supposedly they're bringing Aragon back. Oh boy. So <laughs> anyway, uh, for those of you who understood that reference, even if you try to tell a story beat by beat, there are conflicts. There are peculiarities that are unique to individual worlds. Yeah. And there's also expectations. Right. Uh, when, when someone sits down 
at a table, when a player sits down at a table thinking they're playing in Faerun and you're bringing out ideas from a different setting, they're going to have some conflict. Some players wash over that conflict quickly. Others get stuck on it and it becomes a huge issue at the table. Right. Right. So I'm joining a game and someone tells me that, oh, it's, it's a homebrew world. I kind of roll my eyes a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's just it's probably just going to be Faerun painted gray or painted brown and that's fine if you want to have justification for limiting your campaign to certain races and, and professions i mean i mostly play in Faerun, but i would never limit anything i mean anything can be explained and right. my my version of Faerun is what i want it to be right and this is a step Further, it's, it's no longer my version of Faerun, it's my version of the setting. Yeah. Or if you have a player who is just one of those people who just kind of sits and enjoys dissecting the world and goes, this doesn't make sense in this world at all, you're probably not going to be able to get them to buy in on a world that you build. But if you have people who want to play around in the wild, wild west with magic, or if they want to do an urban fantasy setting, or something in space, or something different. Yeah, this is an option. If you like the rule set, but you just want to change the flavor, homebrew works. So when it comes to building the world, first off, you kind of want to decide the flavor. You're doing so with goals. You're not just building a world to build a world, at which point you're not playing D&D to go back to our earlier discussion. You're world building as a hobby, which is fine. It's yeah. fine. I love world building. But it's a second hobby. Well, it's a 10th hobby for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But so when it comes to world building, set your goals, figure out why you are building this world to tell a story. And the best reason would be to set the flavor of your sessions. Yeah. One thing to think about is like the existing settings. For example, you have the Dark Sun. It's a completely different setting. Like wasteland post-apocalyptic. Yeah. It's got a lot of the same beats. It's got similar races. But the, the whole purpose of Sandfall. it is like it feels different to the player. Magic is different. The structure of the world is different. The rules are different. The whole purpose of the whole setting was to be different. Mm -hmm. So when you're coming up with your world, think about why you want it to be different mm -hmm. and how what you're, the choices you're making are reinforcing that feeling. Right. And if those choices that you're making are going to be fun to play. Yeah. Player fun should be a primary goal if you are world building for D&D. To go back to literature a little bit, Brandon Sanderson loves building worlds. His Mistborn saga was formed around the idea of what if this incredibly crunchy magic system was fueled by types of metal. So you swallowed tin and you got one effect, but it was a way that he could tell the story with magic in it that felt very different. But if you want to keep the magic system from D&D, which is a good idea because building your own magic system is a lot of work, you can change the setting. Another setting of his is what if the cultures and the landscape was shaped by these gigantic hurricane force storms that swept over the entire planet every two weeks. It goes into the monetary system. It goes into the kingdoms. It goes into the landscape. They don't have horses there. They have beetles because gigantic insects, and that's what it takes for an animal to survive these periodic hurricane force storms. So it is a very different world, but it has a lot more traditional feeling magic because it's all about magic weapons and super abilities. It feels very comic booky, but in a very unique world setting. Yeah. So so if you are thinking about introducing 
your players and having them explore this new world, that is an option. Make sure that there are meaningful changes that come from it, that you're not just taking Faerun and painting it a different color. At which point... Why just, even bother? Yeah, why even bother? Yeah, and one of the biggest things that is automatically in DMG that they talk about is whether or not your world is high magic, low magic, or no magic, and how your players interact with that. Maybe the difference between your setting and Faerun is that your players are the only people with magic. Right. That would be a huge difference to the setting, but you have to make sure you use that in how the NPCs interact with the players, because they're going to act totally differently to your players if they're the only ones with magic versus a setting like Faerun or magic is everywhere. Right. And for example, imagine walking around 100 years ago with a smartphone in your pocket. That would have been magic a century ago. And if you're the only person with an iPhone 12 in 1912 or 1922, you are something special. You can do things that other people can't. People will regard you with jealousy and you may have options open to you that aren't available to other people. But if you walk around New York today with an iPhone 12, someone's going to go put your phone away before it gets yanked out of your hand. Going back to the magic is a good example because uh, it's a very common thing that's changed from setting to setting. Something like Fireball, that is basically if magic is everywhere then think about like the average person's walking around with a bazooka well i mean you can have high magic in a setting and not have everybody well, able yeah. to cast third level no spells. but you, you know what i mean like if a person who has magic is normal then it's not uncommon especially if your players are fighting bad guys who have magic like they're not the only person with magic in the whole world other than the players like there's there's got to be dozens of people. Think about what it means for people with the change to your setting. Going back to Brandon Sanderson and one of his stories, in his setting, they had little spirits, spirit creatures that were visible, and one of them reacted to infection. And it showed up anytime someone was infected. That means that catapulted medicine forward hundreds of years compared to a world where you can't tell what medicine, like, infection yeah. is simply because you can tell hey i take this plant and i rub it on someone's wound and these spirits go away yeah and the person gets better this is medicine yeah it's no longer i think you have ghosts in your blood you should do cocaine about it it's you have this particular ghost around your wound you need to do this to it yeah think about it's not immediately obvious that that's what would happen with the presence of these spirits but that's if you're thinking about what makes your world special, why you're building this world, think about the consequences of those choices. Right. And the consequences flow over into defining all sorts of conflict. It's not just it's not just magic. It's not just the landscape. You can have these dynamic shifts are what do cities look like? For example, going back to Sanderson's, very low built, reinforced stone buildings with heavy shutters, no skyscrapers because they'd fall over. Very durable. But if you have a space setting then all of your cities are in space stations. You change not only where the cities are located, why are the cities there? You know, you can have cities for different reasons. Like, for example, in our world, cities tend to spring up at intersections between major crossroads because that's where trade happens. People walk into town, they bring their items, they, they sell them, and then other people come into town and then they buy them and then they go in different directions. And so some cities and towns are all about that. That's the entire reason we have ports and commerce. Yeah. We have other areas where all of the farmers bring in their crops from the harvest. And you had, what was it, Kansas City, where it was the big cattle drives. And so you might have a setting where you have a huge cattle drive, 
and everyone's bringing in cows and then something happens and now your players are up to their eyeballs in cows but magical there's different reasons yeah i mean if you look at medieval europe towns were very close together they'd generally be about a day's travel right by foot because yeah like people would walk a day and then they would start sleeping wherever they were and then some of them would just say i'm gonna set up a town here (laughs) yeah well if you look at america because of travel being so prevalent at the formation of america cities and towns are so much further away right so when you're building your setting that could be something to think about like you got to travel 50 miles to get the next town or that's like eight miles away in your setting you have different institutions because Different institutions can pop up for different reasons. The easiest way is to say that an institution is all about the control of a specific resource. This shows up all the time in sci-fi. You have people going after the drug runners. You have the water miners in space. Yeah, you have spice. Spice. (laughs) You don't have to do all this stuff on your own either. I like to include the players in the world building. Let their character creation choices help inform the decisions that you make building your world. If you need an institution that fills a certain need, ask your players who has a character that is kind of associated with whatever that is. Maybe they come from an institution, a monastery, a guild or something that you can include in your world. Right. Yeah. Going, you know, because we're we're talking about like pre-session zero, if you have a player like, hey, I want to play in your table. It's like, all right, what do you want to play? I want to play a cleric. Okay. Tell me about your temple. Tell me about your God. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me about the God that you want to have. Tell me about it. Like, you don't have to do all of it. Have them do some of it. Yeah. It is a shortcut because the easiest way to get your players to care about your game is to incorporate something that they care about. And the easiest way to do that is say, what does your character care about the most that isn't very personal? It's not family. It's not personal belief. Like, what bigger thing is it? And you might have a dude who's just so devoted to pasta spaghetti and meatballs is where it's at that gives you the chance to have the pasta guild as a dm my recommendation as a dm when building a world and this is something i learned through experience dealing with world building and and tables is work as a skeleton like create the rules for the system and then let the players fill in how those rules work if you're saying that there are gods that walk around the world you know don't decide what the gods are Hmm? they're the players be like so gods are real they walk around the world and you can just talk to one mm-hmm. and it'll be there. Yeah. What type of a conversation do you want to have with a guy? Yeah. Uh, tell me about your God. Same thing. Like anything in there. You know, if you want to have a world that's full of these crazy storms, someone's like, I want to be a fighter. And it's like, all right. Well, how, you know, how did your player learn to fight? Did he go to a school or is it like, did they have to travel far? Does he go to these different schools in different places? Bring in what they're telling you as part of your world building. Right. It can even be aesthetic choices. Like, tell me about how your fighter's shield doubles as a shelter. Going back to to what Joey said, like, you don't have to build everything. If you're taking an established setting, understand how the rules of that setting can be influenced by player choice and how player choice can influence the setting. You know, Joey said he makes it his own fair room. It's true. Yeah. It can be your own Middle Earth. It can be your own Star Wars. It can be yeah. your own... I rule. I yeah. rule. Yeah. You don't have to... And that's the thing about world building is like plagiarize the hell out of it. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, what does Zelda with their crazy dungeons look like in the face of a level 15 mage? Yeah, I mean, that could be fun. Yeah. It's, it's not always from scratch. You can rely on someone else's decisions or you can build your own. 
I built a uh, a Legend of Zelda type temple once. It was it was wacky. I don't even know how that would work. Every room is like a silly puzzle. Yeah, well, that's true. That's and, true. Yeah, but it would have stuff happens in other rooms. Yeah, and you need to get something. There's something in there that you need to progress to another part of the dungeon. Yeah, you need something in room five to deal with something in room three, which is then dealt with in room seven. Which oh, is no, it's a Metroidvania. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was another one demystified. Yay. Yeah. Oh. This was Demystified. If you liked it, we'd appreciate it if you could leave a review or share this with your friends. Our website is demystified.com, just the letter D, mystified.com. Do you have a question for us? Reach out via our Twitter handle, at Pickled Wizards, or ask on Facebook, at Pickled Wizards. Same page. We might talk about your problem here.